Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi there, and welcome again to the Explaining History podcast. And today I'm going to be looking about um, questions about how ordinary Americans viewed the world in 1945. We've looked at the uh, changes in America domestically uh, after the Second World War into the 50s and 60s. But what uh, ordinary American people felt uh, about the the nature of the world, uh, about... um, uh, foreign relations and America's role internationally uh, has been kind of less explored. So, at the end of the Second World War, there had been a, a dramatic change in um, America's traditional um, foreign relations, foreign policy, um, as a result of the, the kind of the unprecedented nature of the war, um, the devastation of the Axis powers which took uh, a couple of decades to recover, gave America um, an unparalleled economic head start. Um, If you imagine that not only were Germany and Japan um, physically devastated by the war, um, but France and Britain were financially crippled and um, their abilities to operate as kind of imperial metropoles uh, fundamentally uh, undermined for um, the the rest of the the, the post-war era. And so uh, uh, America had really every card to play. And um, indeed, the Soviet Union, which emerged as a rival superpower, at the end of the cold at the end of the second world war and the beginning of the cold war was certainly not an economic superpower it too had been uh, economically devastated and physically devastated in a uh, to an extent that no other nation was though countries like poland and china uh, came in for some uh, stiff competition some 27 million russians had died during the war um and the only power that actually emerged stronger at the end of the war is the USA. 
And few Americans um, at the end of the war really appreciated um, what this meant and what role America would play in the world uh, in the, the 50s, 60s and 70s. Um, the uh, major policymakers um, didn't really discuss uh, about the idea of a Pax Americana, uh, that America being essentially the, the home of the, 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 the centre of uh, the world system uh, in the, the, the post-war era. Um, uh, in, uh, James Patterson in uh, Grand Expectations writes, Top policymakers at first did not talk much about Pax Americana, about worldwide uh, communist expansion, or even about the American century that Henry Luce had anticipated in 1941. But it was obvious that the advances in air power, rocketry, atomic weapons um, ended America's history of relatively free security, and that the United States might have to fill at least part of the post-war power vacuum. Most political leaders recognised that they lived on an interconnected planet uh, in which the spark in one corner of the world could ignite explosions in many other corners. America, Secretary of War Stimson observed, could never again be an island to itself. No private programme and no public policy in any sector of our national life can now escape from the compelling fact that if it is not framed within the reference of the world, it is framed with perfect futility. So you have um, a population that was largely as insular in 1945 as it had been in 1941. A population whose tendency to retreat back into isolationist thinking um, was always present. And that was now matched by, or now matched, contrasted by, a political elite that saw the world in very different ways. The existence of atomic weapons, rocketry, uh, and the means to guide it towards America, the existence of, of air power, meant that America could no longer rely on the Pacific and the Atlantic Oceans to keep it safe. Uh, it was um, uh, The world had got a lot smaller, and throughout the 50s and 60s would get smaller still as advances in nuclear weapons uh, continued and abated. After 1945, um, the uh, American um, policy-making elites in Washington uh, were shaped by the view that America had lost many of its, its traditional isolationist advantages. Um, the events after 1945 were would uh, be brought home to the American public in quite an uh, ab abrupt way. Many of the scares and the panics of the 1950s um, from the uh, Truman and Eisenhower anti-communist um, periods and um, the, the rise of McCarthyism were really a, a representation of an increasingly anxious American public who ideally would have uh, not wanted to engage with the outside world, uh, but new means of communication, particularly the advent of television uh, and the um, fall of many countries to communism around the world, meant that uh, ordinary Americans 
were unable to simply ignore the rest of the world and the threat of the advance of communism and the acquisition of nuclear weapons by the Soviet Union um, made it more and more likely that um, the, um, the reluctance of America to deal with fundamental foreign policy questions um, would translate into a panic when these these foreign policy questions don't go uh, away. Uh, America, um, that had a relatively small army in 1939, um, with almost no intelligence service, had to develop very, very quickly the means of fighting global wars, fighting in Asia, fighting in Europe, having uh, the complexities of things like code-breaking, uh, intelligence, none of which existed in 1939, um, and uh, had to then adapt this to the new quasi-peacetime, quasi-wartime conditions of, of the Cold War, where huge standing armies had to be maintained, huge arsenals of weapons. And as we've already explored, uh, Truman needed to develop a, a new intelligence system, a new way of informing the presidency about what was going on in the world, and this emerged partly through conspiracy, partly through blunder, as the the uh, largely unchecked and overbudgeted CIA. Of course, in 1945, there was no real need to feel insecure or afraid in America at all. America had uh, military outposts uh, around the world, fleets of bombers that could raise cities to the ground, uh, and it had nuclear weapons. It faced virtually no threat from the Soviet Union, unlike uh, much of Western Europe, which certainly did. But it was the feeling that circumstances could so rapidly change that left many Americans feeling uh, uh, unsure and, and fearful. Um, and there was um, a, a fear that communism might spread not so much through military force, but perhaps some, in some mysterious way through subversion. There were all manner of anxieties about who in the State Department had been talking to the Russians, how friendly they had been with them during the Second World War, how close those ties had been and how close those relationships had been. And in some cases, yes, there had been spies in the State Department. There had been information passed back and forth. How much of this had the official sanction of Roosevelt as a back channel to the Soviets? It's unclear. What was also unclear was the extent to which um, American citizens would support um, any further major uh, military action overseas. And how much uh, America becoming involved in the affairs of countries from Greece to Korea would be tolerated. The um, decision by Truman to announce the Truman Doctrine is a case in point. The Truman Doctrine was really the product of uh, an American miscalculation about Great Britain. In 1945, when John Maynard Keynes uh, came to America to negotiate what he hoped would be a gift of uh, money to the British economy in order to uh, help the British deal with an adjustment to peacetime and 
to deal with their huge wartime debts. What he wound up was uh, a loan. Uh, the loan was smaller than Keynes had hoped for, and it came with some um, serious uh, conditions attached to it, uh, one of which was the full convertibility of the British currency, uh, of the pound, in 1947. The pound's convertibility uh, meant that uh, the weak British economy uh, could see outflows of cash leaving um, as p- investors move their money overseas and, rec- uh, and uh, particularly to America and see a collapse in the value of the pound. This, when it does happen in 1947, leads to uh, a virtual uh, cr- uh, collapse in the British economy. Um, it leads to the beginnings of a post-war austerity um, and the um, problem of rationing has to be uh, kept up until the mid-1950s uh, as a result. The thing that the British can't do as the pound slumps is it project itself as an imperial power and it can't carry on propping up uh, the struggle against communism in Greece. Between 1945 and 1947, there was every expectation that the British would take on a leading role in the fight against world communism. But with the British economy fatally undermined, they can't do this any longer. In some ways, um, the, the, a more honest view was that the, the British economy had been living on borrowed time for far too long and currency controls had artificially um, propped it up and that what America had done really had been to reveal the, the, the true nature of the British economy. But that doesn't help when you're having to uh, fund the Greek army uh, and train it and equip it uh, against militants fighting uh, all, all over the country. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Country. So with the fear that Greece was going to fall to communism and perhaps Turkey alongside it, um, thus putting the uh, communist uh, flags on the Mediterranean along with um, Tito's Yugoslavia, 
uh, in the um, the Aegean and the Adriatic, um, there was intense alarm by the Truman administration that the Mediterranean might be cut off for from oil exports um, from the the Middle East. All that needed to happen was perhaps North Africa to fall to communism, and then um, oil could be shut off. Um, this was uh, Truman came to immensely regret. Um, not uh, helping Britain later on and he saw the convertibility crisis as uh, an avoidable blunder Uh, because what it meant was that now America would have to step into the breach that the British had been forced to to abandon Um, the other um, the decolonisation of India uh, and the uh, abandonment of Palestine were other Parts of the the speed up of the the, the British timetable to uh, to leave uh, empire. The Truman Doctrine was something ideally Truman himself would not necessarily have uh, gone for. It was a measure that meant that um, complicated, difficult, uh, and alarming foreign policy challenges once again had to be pitched to a rather reluctant U.S. population. And Truman had to present it to America as an unavoidable task. That if communism wasn't stopped, communism might be uh, uh, might come to America's borders one day. That this was probably and highly unlikely um, was neither here nor there. Um, communism had to be stopped, in Truman's view, to prevent world markets from falling to communist countries or at least world markets um, from being uh, falling not so necessarily to communism, but to national liberation movements. James Patterson writes revealingly uh, about the perspective of America's foreign policy elites, uh, particularly when it came to being at odds with the views of the population. Notwithstanding these feelings of insecurity, which were especially obvious in the immediate aftermath of the war, the leaders of America's post-war foreign policy, a group that came to be known as the Establishment, developed a self-confidence that occasionally bordered on self-righteousness. Their rising certitude rested upon the belief that the Soviet Union was a dangerous foe and that the United States had a large interest in the world, that it must assert these interests strongly. Appeasement led inevitably to disgrace and defeat. Leaders of the establishment did not always define these interests clearly. Where indeed they were, um, where indeed must the United States risk war? But they were confident that America possessed the economic and military resources to outlast and ultimately to overcome a host of potential enemies. In their approach to international relations, they developed very grand expectations, and they managed to fashion. Um, that they managed to fashion into official American policy. Now, what's revealing from there is the uh, fear of appeasement. The uh, myth, or, well, the story of appeasement of Neville Chamberlain and Hitler has gradually translated from being uh, a British to a kind of an Anglo-American myth. The uh, American um, decision-making throughout the Cold War all the way uh, into kind of various aspects of the post-Cold War period has been based on this 
um, obsession with Munich in 1938 that if you you appease the enemy at all, if you negotiate at all, then what will happen is simply you will have to fight the war um, that you could have fought in a much more advantageous position further down the line when it's far, far harder and the costs are going to be far, far higher. The um, idea that there is any kind of nuance in looking at Munich in 1938 and that uh, Chamberlain might not have been quite the fool that he's portrayed to be is very often sort of uh, swept out out of the way. Um, And appeasement has been used to justify most of the the kind of the more belligerent foreign policy positions um, and it has become a kind of an almost parable of folly um, that one must never, ever um, do anything that might be conceived as uh, appeasing a dictator. However, in the late 1940s, this was understandable. The world had sim- had recently seen the end of a war that had killed in excess of 50 million people, and it appeared to have been triggered by appeasement itself. Um, and so it, it, it kind of makes sense that this would have been at the forefront of American foreign policy thinking. But what's also present is this idea that America had interests in the world that must be protected, that uh, America had 5% of the world's population and half the world's wealth in 1945, and that everything possible uh, should be employed to keep things that way. Much of the world's wealth flowed to America through uh, quasi-imperial relations, the uh, ability of America to be the world's economic powerhouse, uh, the world's banker uh, and the world's creditor, was also matched by the ability of America to uh, afford um, commodities at prices which were advantageous. So rubber from Malaya and pineapples from and sugar and tobacco from Cuba, for example. Um, so American industry benefited immensely uh, by having stable sources of resources um, which could be purchased at rock-bottom prices. And the um, disruption that communism presented to all of this was a key reason for America becoming uh, a far more, far greater uh, imperium uh, in the post-war era than it had been prior to the war. When Roosevelt died... Harry Truman um, struck a far more a kind of belligerent tone with the Soviets. Now, it's not to suggest that Roosevelt was soft on the Soviet Union and that Truman was the hard-headed pragmatist. Roosevelt had all sorts of suspicions about Stalin, but seemed on some level to be able to give Stalin the, the greater benefit of the doubt and was perhaps a, a more kind of uh, genial character when it came to meeting people like Molotov. Stalin seemed to actually quite like Roosevelt uh, and saw them as the two figures that would reshape the world together, the two, two great statesmen. Um, the uh, truth of the matter revealed by um, George Kennan in his long telegram uh, and Averill Harriman, uh, who had been America's ambassador to the Soviet Union, um, was that the, the, the Soviets were unwilling to play by any of the rules 
agreed between notionally between Stalin, uh, Churchill, and Roosevelt at the wartime conferences. Avril Harriman in 1944 said, "Unless we take issue with the present policy, uh, there's in every indication." that the Soviet Union will become a world bully wherever their interests are involved. The um, immediate post-war era saw um, the Soviets um, undermine uh, and uh, break the any promises made in uh, the eastern zone, Soviet zone in Germany, uh, in Manchuria, Iran, in Turkey, uh, on the Dardanelles, uh, and their own... Um, policy uh, towards uh, even Western Europe um, become uh, curiously am- ambiguous. Um, Roosevelt said, Avril is right. We can't do business with Stalin. This is three weeks before his death. He's broken every one of the promises he made at Yalta. Um, but how, at the same time, uh, Roosevelt refused to say much of this in public. He refused to actually really challenge Stalin um, and it becomes difficult to imagine precisely what Roosevelt would have done had he lived uh, any longer so perhaps it was Roosevelt's poor health perhaps it was um, his realisation that Stalin had really um, uh, manipulated him toward in, in the, 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 the dying moments of his life um, that caused him to to reflect like this, but there was in the American population in general and in the American media a dramatic shift towards the right from 1944 onwards, uh, and a, um, a a growth, uh, not from a, a kind of a top level, a real kind of grassroots growth in uh, anti-communism and the suspicion of the communists. Perhaps it was because. Uh, anti-fascism had become redundant from you know 1944 onwards when it was clear that Nazism uh, had been uh, or was about to be imminently defeated that um, new fears about the security of America and about the future of America in a very uncertain world uh, began to take root the uh, way the horrors of Nazism were revealed at the end of the war, um, bit by bit, the uh, British and American populations, uh, Western populations, didn't fully embrace or fully kind of realise the the horrors of Nazism for for quite some time, and the um, uh, realities of of the camps uh, were not kind of the at the forefront uh, of the debate about Nazism, perhaps in, for at least another twenty years. Um, but the threat of the Soviets uh, becomes gradually more apparent throughout this period of time um, to mainstream uh, America, and the uh, understanding of what communism was was not kind of widespread, except that it was something that was contrary to American values and largely un-American and alien. Anyway, I hope you found that interesting and we'll continue with this uh, in due course. Um, Do remember to check out our Patreon page if you can and I'll catch you on the next Explaining History podcast. Thanks. All the best. Bye-bye. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.